funny, when we're speaking about the word of the Lord, I've been doing a series for a little while now called How Does God Speak or When God Speaks? And the question has uh, been answered several times. Uh, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. One, God can speak to us directly, indirectly. He can speak to us with his voice. He can speak to us through prophets, through music, through the written word. Of course, the Bible mostly. He can speak to us through nature. He can th- speak to us through circumstances. We have all that information. And of course, ultimately, he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. Amen? And so um, as I bring this series to a close, I think it's almost logical or natural to ask, what do I think God is saying? What do I think God is saying? Um, a couple people have actually asked me, are you going to say what you think God is saying <laughs> right now? Uh, in one way, I've been preaching that the whole time. Uh, I believe what God is saying is what I've said before. Um, but I want to be really careful about how I frame this. One, I'm not talking about what God is saying to the whole world. Uh, though we already know what God is saying to the whole world. It's, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what God is saying to the whole world. It's not terribly complicated. Um, and I know what else God is saying to the whole world. He's saying to them what Peter said in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not terribly complicated. Um, God is not interested in politics and socioeconomics and the differences between churches and the differences between countries and armies as we are. He simply does not care. The Bible tells us that nations are like a drop in the bucket to God. We are but a vapor. We come and go like the grass. Um, We get all interested in these things, and God is seeing two messages. I love you. Come and follow me. So, done. That's what God is saying to the whole world. But God does speak to individuals, and he does speak to churches as well. And I think that's where maybe I can offer some perspective. I have been given a mandate by the church that I'm a part of to help lead this particular church. So I have a perspective I can share. Uh, First of all, remember that any preacher should be hearing first from God themselves. And much of what we preach as preachers is first preached to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if we are not doing or saying the things, now I realize there are a lot of hypocritical preachers. And in fact, I, I had a real moment with the Lord last night because uh, my, my daughter and I, we have with the tradition of watching some YouTube videos together. But um, I was flicking through them and one of them was a, a series of pastors who were discussing hot button topics, except it was from about 10, 12 years ago. And um, I just stopped to watch it and, and, and without saying names, it doesn't matter who. But the moderator and the two gentlemen uh, discussing the issues were both uh, incredibly popular uh, pastors that everybody would know the name of if you're part of the church. But what struck me most was since that video, all three of them have been removed from their pulpit for various sins and indiscretions. For lying, for bullying, and for alcoholism. And here they were telling the whole world what God is saying. And it struck me that we must be very, very careful as preachers. And by the way, so should you. Whatever you say, God told me or God says, remember. My mother taught me, it's Mother's Day, a good lesson. I tell you this all the time. My mother taught me, God never sleeps. (laughs) So when we think that he's not paying attention, oh, he's paying attention. And so I say, when I say what God is speaking, what God is speaking, first of all, these gentlemen that I told you about, they would say the same thing I said. Everything I say should match the word of God. Oh, Amen. But what matters more is whether I match the word of God, not my words. 
A brother just before a service told me about somebody who uh, went through the same thing. You know, what they said sounded great. What they did was something entirely different. So as a shepherd or a leader or a pastor here, I believe God gives us words to share with you, the people who choose to watch us or come and listen, and have chosen to fellowship with us, and that's what I would like to go over then. Okay? So to remember this lesson, not just for here but for life, just because I say uh, it's what I believe God is saying. Remember, as Paul, I remember last time I spoke, Paul said sometimes, listen, I don't know if this is God or if this is me, but this is what I think about things. Remember, he talked about marriage. He talked about a woman's role. At the time, he would say, listen, I'm not sure this is God, but this is what I think. Okay, so I want you to understand that I'm humble in this sense, saying, you know, not everything I'm going to say, I believe, is directly from the throne of God. If it's for the word of God, it is. Uh, for example, pastors disagree about a lot of things. I don't know if you know this. Uh, especially for whatever reason, God seems to have raised me up to always disagree with what the general consensus is of a lot of things. For example, many pastors, even in my own church movement, will say, well, we need to plant more churches. And I've been saying since I was 20, no, we don't. We need to strengthen the churches we have. Stop spreading your resources thin and concentrate in what you have. Uh, many people will say, well, we need to ordain more pastors. And I am saying, no, we have too many pastors, in fact. And we need to strengthen the ones we have and work on developing other ministries and other issues. For example, okay? Now, do they hear from God? Yes. Do I hear from God? Yes. So we can't both be saying, God told me that opinion, because we can't both be right. In fact, I think God is less interested in those things than we think he is. But we are both believers. We are both, all these people, both sides of this disagree of this thing, believe in God and hear from God. But to one to claim, well, yes, God says the strategy is to plant churches. Well, I say no, the strategy is to plant the churches that exist already. We can't claim God stamp of approval on our idea. You see, because immediately we've caused a division where there does not need to be any division. It's just a difference of opinion. Okay? And God can bless both tactics, as it were. But locally, okay, here in this church, I'm only going to speak to us okay, today, I think there's some things that God is saying to us specifically. And some of it, and when, I, when it's really my opinion, I'll tell you, and some of it's straight from the Word of God, so it's not my opinion. You've got to argue with Jesus if you have a problem with it. Okay? All right, so first I want to go through some scripture here. It says, 2 Timothy reminds us this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I think this is absolutely key as we come out of this pandemic, as we go into us locally. Uh, again, I've said this many, many times, so forgive me if you hear it for the hundredth time, but to fan into flame means that you have to do some work. The flame of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is always on fire. He's never at an ember. He's always at a roaring furnace. It's what's within us, sometimes you get to an ember. And so the idea is that we have to fan into flame. How do we fan into flame? Well, we take part in church. We're going to get there in a second. We pray, we worship, we, we do the works of ministry, we serve other people. That's how we fan into flame. For God does not make us timid, he said, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The great writer A.W. Tozer, who I've recommended to you to read many, many times, said this, A scared world needs a fearless church. Amen. And the world is super scared. You know I don't like getting, I mean, I talk about politics, and I don't want to give too many things away, but I'm seeing now as we come near now, or, or thank God over 40% of the population is now vaccinated, including me, yay. And, um, and, uh, and we're coming out of this soon, all the children, everybody will have their second shots by the fall, and now some people are starting to say, oh, well, even when we're vaccinated, there's still going to be a problem. 
It's like, oh, okay. Because some people love to live in fear. And now all this international um, sort of drama is started. You know, well, now that things are going back to normal, China's starting to posture, and Russia's starting to posture, and the United States is starting to and every And the world, it's just fear, 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 fear. Will the economy ever recover? Will this recover? Will that recover? Fear, 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 fear. Right? I would never tell you not to watch the news, but watch the news under the blood of Jesus Christ. And just remind yourself that what I'm watching is a result of people who have lost their way, who have no shepherd. Can you, you ever seen sheep without a shepherd? Come to where my parents are from in Wales. Okay? And we know what sheep without a shepherd do? They block the road. You're laughing, but that's exactly what happens. I cannot tell you how many times I was driving in the back, back roads of Wales. I wasn't actually driving, but with people in the back roads of Wales. And then you just come up with a bunch of sheep, and they're like. <laughs> and they're just, and you're like, hey, hey, you're blocking the road. And they're like, I don't know what a road is. I'm just here. Nobody's telling me where to go. And they don't get out of the way till somebody comes to show them the way. And that's what the world is like. I'm not, I'm not calling them evil. I'm just saying they're like a bunch of sheep going. What do we do now? This is scary. You know? Now there's something bunk. See? So the world, scared world, needs a fearless church. There's, we can't be a church that's afraid. My goodness. You know? Afraid of this, afraid of that, afraid of this, afraid of that. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? We, we, we have these verses. Oh, if God is for me, who could be against me? You know? And the Lord says, you know, the battle is mine, says the Lord. Amen, amen. I'm scared. Of what? Of what? You know, the big bad government, maybe, I don't know, I don't think they're particularly that bad, to be honest. But if you are, why? You know, pharmaceutical companies, nuclear missiles, uh, name it. There's nothing to be afraid of. We know the one who made it all. So don't be afraid. That's what I think God is saying to us. Stop being afraid. You know, we read this often in the book of Isaiah. Uh, I've been here a lot in my own personal study in Isaiah 40 to 55, which a lot of messianic prophecies, as they call it, Deutero-Isaiah is the actual way. Uh, basically, it's when the, ex- the Israelites were in exile in Babylon, because I'm reading a lot of the coming out of, of you know, exile and so on. And uh, we read this uh, scripture uh, in, in Isaiah 40. You know, hey, young people, I got one for you. This is one of my favorite chapters. I'll tell you a quick story. This is a side story. It might be long this morning. But this chapter, Isaiah 40, uh, in the middle of Isaiah 40, it says, God sits upon the circle of the earth. Okay? And uh, so once upon a time when I was in college, I was in John Abbott College, and my Western civilization professor was mocking Christians and the Bible, and he, you know, as they tend to do in college because they're so bright, aren't they? And um, he was mocking and how you know, the church uh, uh, you know, was uh, putting people in jail and putting even people to death. Because they were saying that you know people scientists started saying the Earth was round in, in the in the in the Renaissance and so on and he's like oh well these foolish people and so now I just back in those days we didn't have Bibles in our phones guys so we didn't even have phones so I happened to have a Bible in my bag because I was doing Bible study at school that day and I pulled it out and I opened it at Isaiah 40 and I put out my hand and then he went yeah and I said hey um, can I read you something it says here and God sits upon the circle of the Earth. And the whole crass erupted in laughter. And I said, I don't know about those medieval Christians and those Renaissance Christians. They were kind of dumb. All they had to do was read Isaiah 40. And we see right there, the earth is a circle. And boy, was he mad. And he actually came and threatened me at my lunch. I was buying lunch at the munch box. Anybody went to Abbott? And I was buying my lunch. And he came up to me and he said, don't ever do that again. 
And I said, well, you misquoted. What do you want me to do? I mean, you know. Now, sorry, that's a side story to tell you. God speaks even in that way. Okay, but this is in that scripture. So God sits upon the circle of the earth and goes on. And then it says, and this is something I think God is saying. Later on it says, to whom, this is God speaking, to whom will you compare me? Or who has my equal? Says the Holy One, lift up your eyes and look to heaven. Who created all this? He who brings the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now I want you to understand something for a second. We've got to take God's word at his word. The scientists tell us that the stars are innumerable in the sense that there's so many upon so many upon so many. The mathematical equation is almost unknowable. There's so many stars. And God says, I know them all by name. Now, of course, the person who has no faith in God will say, it's just silly, it's just poetic. Well, I believe God knows them all by name. Harry, Suli, Bobby, you know, whatever he calls them, okay? I'm sure some of them have Jethro, whatever. They all have great names. It's a good Bible name, Jethro, by the way. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Now, in this, Jacob, I'm going to translate that to people of God. That's what Jacob means there. Why do you complain? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. My mother's, mother's Day sermon, God never sleeps. And his understanding, no one can fathom. See, no one can understand him. Right? So, oh, God is doing this, and God is doing this, and then God is doing this, and God is this. How do you know? The Bible tells me no one can fathom all the amazing things he has. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths will grow tired and weary. Young men will stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. All impossible things. You see, so, so when we put, so church, what I think God is saying is when you put God in his proper perspective, in his proper place, and realize, I can't question this God. I can't understand everything about him, but I'm going to acknowledge his greatness and his awesomeness and how amazing he is. And then he's going to, in return, he's going to, what does it say? He's going to renew my strength and we will soar like wings on eagles. That's a poetic way of saying soaring on wings like eagles is they don't really try that hard. You ever watch an eagle fly? Just effortless. They ride the warm air currents and they just do what they got to do. People will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So I believe God is saying here we need to put all of our faith, hope, and trust in Him and spend time in His presence near Him. Okay, how do we do that? How do we spend time with God? We've talked about it so much this year already. Prayer, fellowship, even if it's online. Okay, just talking to people, spending time with people, worshiping, literally singing and, 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 and praising God, talking our praises out to God. You know, remember that song that was popular for a while? We sing it once in a while now, one day in your, remember, better is one day in your courts. That comes from Psalm 8410. You see it if you're watching online, you see the verse there. Psalm 8410 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This sounds really poetic, right? And, uh, Maybe a nice thing to do is, let's say, let's say uh, in a few months we can all have church normal size again. We have everybody here, you know, and then we strike up, better is one day in your courts. And people start going, oh, yes, I'm back in church, better is one day in your courts. And they have completely misunderstood what this verse is saying. Don't wait for church to come back to understand this saying. I got a question for you. What if church never came back? What if the government says, you know what, we like it this way. 
No mosque, no synagogue, no church. You guys aren't allowed to do it anymore. What would we do? Would we start protesting? Or would we start praying? Would we start slandering our prime minister? Or would we start worshiping our savior? Do we stop being the church because we can't meet at church? Of course not. So why wait? Better is one day in your course doesn't mean better is one day at church. It means it's better one day in your presence. See, the Jews would have understood that because they understand being in the court is being in God's presence. Okay? So I want you now, and this is for some people for sure, go and tell your kids. Go and tell your spouse. Go and tell your family. Serving God is better than anything. Turn, right now, if you're here or at home, turn to them and say that. And if you can't turn to them because you haven't been living that, don't feel bad about it. Go, yeah, I'm terrible. Just start doing it. Actually, just turn to your kids right now or turn to your wife or husband right now and say, I haven't been doing it, but I'm going to start doing it. Not tomorrow. That's like your diet promise. <laughs> right? I got the new workout DVD. I'm going to start on Monday. Well, Monday was a bad day. Yeah. I'm going to start on Tuesday. Well, I got small group. Yeah. I'm going to start on Wednesday. Wednesday's my rest day. You're going to start on Thursday. Can't start Thursday. Habs are playing. I'm going to start Friday. Can't start Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> Can't start Saturday. That's a day where I get to rest because I got church tomorrow. Can't start on Sunday. I got church. That's what's going to happen if you don't just vow now to spend time in God's presence and turn to your people and your love. And if you're not doing it, don't say, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to turn to them and say, you know what? You think your family's going to hate you if you say, guys, I haven't been doing it right. I want to serve the Lord. Serving God is better than having a PhD. Good luck. God bless if you get a PhD. That's great. But serving God is better than it. Serving God is better than being rich, being comfortable, being happy. Am I getting to you here? Serving God is better than anything. I've had those thoughts, and I know you've had it too. If I just had a little more money, just like a little more, then it'll be okay. If I just had that job, then it'll be okay. Or that house, or whatever, fill in the blank. If only this could happen. And, if, and then we start looking at other people. If only my wife was more like this, or only if my husband was more like that, or if only my kids, maybe when my kids are older, maybe if I have younger kids, maybe if I was, a, you know, maybe, 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 maybe. Don't wait for church to come back. Don't wait for something to change. Do the change. You might say, well, I, I don't know how to do it. Ask God. We're going to get there in a second. Why? Because God protects us so much in our small group and other people about uh, things. God, as Psalm 23 tells us, his rod and his staff, they protect us. And we can even have a dinner in the presence of our enemies. Right? Remember we talked about the lost sheep before? See, God comes with his rod and his staff and he protects us. Amen? He is there to help us. Um, a little interlude. This is a fantastic quote I heard by Dr. Brian Lourdes. He's a teaching pastor at the Summit Church. And this is very important for this age. I think I, I, This is not a scripture. So again, again, that's something I'm sharing personally. But I think this is absolutely key for the world we live in today and will help us reach the lost for Jesus. Are you ready for this? This is what he said, and he's 100% right. You do not have to have strong opinions about everything. I'm going to say that again. You do not have to have strong opinions about everything. Okay? We live in a world, unfortunately, where everybody wants to get their two cents in about everything. Right? So from geopolitical debates to Habs versus Leafs, 
Everybody wants to get their two cents in about things they know nothing about. Folks, it is embarrassing when Christians are trying to have discussions about epidemiology and they know nothing about it. My father-in-law, when he worked, worked with lasers. And he hears some people talk about lasers sometimes and I see him rolling his eyes because, you know, we think of lasers like pew, 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 pew from guns and Star Wars and whatever. He understands lasers. Why? Because he spent 40 years working and watching the technology transfer from what it was to what it is today. Okay? So when I want to know about lasers, I don't go to my buddy who makes movies and go, hey, tell me about lasers. I go to someone who works with lasers for 40 years. You see, we already, I know I used this analogy before about bakers and butchers and stuff like that, but folks, you don't, as Christians, if you don't know something, it's okay to say you don't know. And please, for the love of all that's holy, don't say I prayed about it and God told me. Don't do that, because that's not honest. Okay? So when it comes to how certain things work, I, Valid, I hate cars. Does anybody else feel like that? Like, cars are just for me. Car is a tool to get me from there to there, and I don't want to pay a lot for it. That's how I feel about cars. Okay? But I got some friends with like, cars, engines, blah, 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 and they talk about it, whatever, like it's interesting. Okay? And, if the, and I'm not going to get in there and go, yeah, well, you know, and then because I don't know. And I have no interest in it. Okay? So if they're talking about it... Now, unfortunately, it means sometimes when they go off and talk about it, I'm out of the conversation. I'm not really involved. And they go to me, what do you think? And I'm like, cars go vroom. <laughs> right? Because I don't know anything about it. It's okay to be that person sometimes. It's okay. Because... What ends up happening when you give an opinion on something you know nothing about and you're wrong, you hurt not just your own credibility, you hurt the witness of Jesus Christ. And it's better to say, I don't know, I'm going to go learn about that, than it is to say, well, no, 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 and be wrong. Okay, it's hard, I know, I love to argue about things sometimes. Interesting things, you know, but we don't know. That's it, again, no scripture attached to that, that's just me. Okay. Now, we'll go back to Jesus. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, amen? Built, and they said, the church is built on the foundations of apostles and prophets. And I'm convinced of this. Jesus is building his church as he always has been, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why do I know that? Because it's a promise from the word of God spoken by Jesus himself. There's a great worship song out right now, and this is what it says about being in God's presence. It's not a building that God wants to fill, it's your heart. I'm going to say it again. It's not a building that God wants to fill. It's your heart. As part of preparation for this, I reached out to a bunch of people. I reached out to a bunch of people who have formally attended the church. Not just this church, but other churches I know about all over the country. And even I've met at different conferences and things. Youth conferences and church conferences. And I asked them a question. I said, you can say you had no good memories, but if you can, please. You're no longer a church church. I get that. But can you tell me what it was that has stuck with you? What did you, what stayed with you? What do you remember? What did you like? What was whatever? And so I got a bunch of answers, and I'm going I'm to try and uh, summarize them for you. Okay? Now, these are from people who are still in the orbit. We still know them. We're still friendly with them. Uh, but maybe they're not following the Lord right now. They all mentioned worship. They all mentioned people worshiping and being part 
of the worship service. They all mentioned some level of loving conferences. And when you, when you, when you talk to them about it, what they really mean, mean is belonging, the sense of belonging, which is tied to the next one. They all said that we made them feel safe. Okay? And so we can say, well, people need this and people need that. Do you know what hit me most? As someone, I am now in my early 40s and have been preaching since I was 15, not one of them mentioned preaching. Not one. And these are all people, by the way, who know I'm a preacher because I'm friends with a lot of them. And not one of them. What they me- so when I look back at it, they me- the presence of God in worship, the fellowship of believers, and the, fe- the fact that they felt safe in a world that isn't safe. That, I hope you're catching that. I hope you're catching that. And so God's still building his church. And I believe that those people can come to a place of saving faith in Jesus Christ. When we continue to tell them not do this, do that, do that, but be a safe place where they can be brought in and loved, where they can be, have belonging and receive teaching and be free to worship the Lord. Amen? See, God's alive. Amen? Is Jesus alive? Okay, what my father-in-law says he is good, okay? Jesus is still alive, he's still moving, he's still saving, he's still at work. So I want to talk to you now, Christians, Transformation Church, I want to talk to you guys, okay? I'm not talking to anybody else's church, they, they can do whatever they want. But let me tell you this, you will get more out of fellowship with your fellow believers and saints than you could ever imagine when you learn that fellowship has nothing to do with how much you get out of it. Can I say that one more time? You will get more out of fellowship with the saints when you learn and you put into practice that fellowship has nothing to do with how much you get out of it. See, that's one of the lessons my friends had to learn. You see, when I come to fellowship and worship with other believers, it's for Jesus. Okay? Not what do I get out of it. Now, the great news is there are untold blessings and benefits from being in fellowship. But when we're in the mindset of, I need, see, I need church to open again so I can just, I can get some of that church. That's, I get it. It's not a bad place to be in, but it's not the place that God wants you in. Okay? When fellowship and going to a church is about worshiping and obeying Jesus, and that alone, it is then that we'll know the full benefit of what it means to be filled beyond measure. Or to have your cup overflow. When going back to church is not about like, oh, I'm at church, oh, great, whatever. When it's like, oh, I'm here with a fellowship of saints and believers to worship the Lord. Simply put, when we ask, I'm sorry, when we put God above all things is when we'll experience what we thought we could by making everything about us. Okay? So simply put, when we put God above all other things is when we'll experience what we think we can experience when we, put our, when we make everything about us or our friends, or our families, or the benefits, or our calling. God speaks his promise very clearly. Seek him first, and all these things will be added to you. What are the things? You ever thought about that? Jesus says, seek him first, and all these things shall be added unto you. What are, what are the things? The problem is, and I'm just going to say this, I'm, I'm, again, I'm speaking only to our transformation people. I'm not going to speak to anybody else. But sometimes we think the things are the stuff we want. 
You know that job I mentioned earlier, or that car I mentioned earlier, or that house I mentioned earlier, or that more money I mentioned earlier. But that's not, I mean, really, I, I, I know all of you. I think we're above, are we beyond the stuff yet? Do we care about stuff still? Are we still stuck on stuff? Every church in this building could be full. Everybody's bank account could have a one with several zeros after it. And we'll have nothing if we don't put God first. Nothing. Not even a tiny something. What did Jesus himself say? Mark 8, 36. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? So Jesus himself said it quite succinctly. He's quite put together. What is all this other stuff? Now I understand why we're like that sometimes. But what are we going to gain? Don't lose your soul today to get stuff. And now transformation, family. Don't lose your soul today to make your family happy. I'm just going to let that sit because I know a lot of people need to hear that. If you're sacrificing time with the Lord, even sacrificing the way you know you should be living for the Lord to make your kids or your spouse happy, that needs to stop yesterday. Because that will eat you up. You might be able to put it up, put it up for now, but the years as the years accumulate. Sadly, listen, I grew up at a time just sort of in between. I'm a lot younger than my siblings. And so seeing that generation and all these people get married and all we're all Christians, whatever. And then when they hit their 40s, started divorcing. Why? Because they sold their soul for their families or for jobs, or for whatever. They're not bad people. They're perfectly wonderful, lovely people. But they made choices. And I'm warning you, I'm warning you as a pastor who loves you and cares about people, do not sell your soul for stuff, for your family, for comfort, for popularity, for your job, whatever. I, even, I wrote here, or to keep your kids entertained. Every, I'm going to say this right now, my kids are teenagers, so I have to live this. Every sacrifice you make for a teenager that compromises your values as Christians will come back and bite you in your you-know-what. I promise you that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Better is one day in his courts. Amen? Better is one teenager hating you for a week than ramifications that can last decades. Amen? It might, it might really stink in the moment. But you got it. You got to stand up. And listen, kids are still going to be kids. You can do everything right, and kids are still going to do things wrong. Okay? Because we're dumb. Right? We do things. But don't sacrifice that. Married couples. Married couples. Do not, do not, sorry, I hit that so hard. I'm not used to having this thing. Do not sacrifice work, uh, presence, time with the Lord. Do not sacrifice uh, your commitment to the Lord to try and make each other happy. Sounds weird, eh? When I say it like that. You've got to get your relationship right with the Lord. And if you need counseling, if you need a therapist, you go and do it. Okay? But do not make sure, well, okay, you know what? This summer, we're not, I've heard this before, this summer we won't go to church. We're going to go to the cabin every weekend. Right? This has happened. Dad's seen it. Mom's seen it. Right? All right we're going to have it every weekend this summer. Get our marriage right. It doesn't work. Never worked. Sorry. 
I told you before, you need a therapist, you need help, great. You want to talk to us, great. We'll talk to you for hours. But let me tell you something right now. And I'm, this is, I believe God is saying this, and you can take it to the bank on this. One revelation from the Holy Spirit is worth every book, every song, every sermon that's ever been written, sung, or spoken. There's nothing that compares to it. I could talk till the cows come home. You want me to all be quiet so you can go have your Mother's Day lunch. I could preach every Sunday for the rest of my life, and it won't equal one revelation from the Holy Spirit. One, one instantaneous, in-the-moment revelation. And you might be hearing me saying, well, I need that. Okay, ask, and you'll get it. What does the Lord say in John 14? I will do whatever you ask in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus is saying, if it's going to glorify my Father, I'll do it. If it's about healing your marriage or fixing the relationship with your kids or a problem you have in your life or whatever, and it's going to glorify the Father, I'll do it. Ask me. Why? How he'll do it? By the Holy Spirit. The verse before that is the verse Christians love to read. It's the one where it says, Jesus says, I did great things. You'll do even greater things in my name. You might be saying, I'm too far gone. I'm so full of sin. I've got hidden sin. I've got secrets, etc. Well, I've got good news for you. It's not a secret. I might not know about it. Your wife may not know about it. Your kids may not know about it. He knows. And he still loves you. And he still wants you to come to him and say, it's okay. Come to me and get forgiven. Ask in my name and it shall be done. Do you remember, you know, sometimes the memories of little kids, you know, what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of jesus simple you're sitting there going what do i do what do i do hear this what can wash away your sin nothing but the blood of jesus the bible tells us in ephesians in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of god's grace that he remember i've been seeing this one week after week lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God's got all the wisdom and understanding. We don't need to have it. We can come in like a bumbling sheep. God, I don't know which way I'm going. I don't know where to go. Don't worry. I've got all the wisdom and understanding. And I'm lavishing my grace upon you. I'm la- lavishing means what? Without holding back. Just giving and giving and giving and giving. And we have redemption, salvation through his blood the forgiveness of sins. So if you're in a bad spot right now, be like that sheep who's just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to follow this guy. If that's how bad off you are, go and follow him. No one's too far gone. No one's too full of sin. Jesus is here to save you and to save the day quite literally. Amen? We're going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to wrap up on this. The guys at home will be seeing this. Revelation 1, the second half of verse 17 and 18 says, Do not be afraid. This is Jesus speaking. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is who we worship, folks. The one who was and is and always will be. You can rest assured. So what do I think God is saying? I think God is saying, put all your faith, hope, and trust in him. So other things I think he's saying, but ultimately that's what it is. So whether, whether we all are back here in a couple of months and have our full church again, or whether we never get to see each other again, he's still the first and the last. He's moving, he's alive, and he's powerful and mighty to save. Amen? So I'm encouraging you, what is God say, say, ask God right now. At home and here, say, God, what are you saying to me? 
God, show me. Remember, ask. Lord, ask anything in my name will do. So God, show me what you're doing that I might do it, that I might follow you, that I might worship you, that I might obey you, and you will see God truly move in your life. Amen? I just want to encourage you all to have a good uh, weekend, uh, good week, excuse me. Uh, bless your moms today. And for those of you who, whose mom maybe has passed on, we just give our love and blessing to you. And, you know, we're praying for you as well. But remember, don't lose hope. Amen? God is speaking always, and he's speaking to you. God bless and have a great week.